Good morning. Welcome to Two Rivers. My name is Jason. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, the energy is hype at my house. We have five kids. Whoa. Um, Christmas week. How we doing? How we doing? It's good to see you guys. I'm glad to be here. We're going to be wrapping uh, the series in First Timothy uh, today. We've been doing this since September, and so we're going to be finished with uh, Paul's letter to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy today. Uh, have you enjoyed the series? We have uh, been uh, working through a lot of challenging passages of Scripture as we've worked through this letter for sure. It has been personally uh, beneficial uh, to me. Uh, I hope that it has been beneficial to you as we have worked through uh, this uh, letter from Paul to Timothy, pastoring a church uh, in the ancient city of Ephesus. Uh, at the beginning, I named the series Appointed to Service, kind of a tagline, Fight the Good Fight, Fulfill Your Ministry. All three uh, phrases are in First and Second Timothy. But as we've worked through this letter, I think uh, maybe uh, a new title, subtitle, or maybe a secondary title could be Context is King, uh, Scripture Interprets Scripture. We've been talking about that phrase a lot. Lucas last week said we need to get a Two River shirt that has like Context is King on there, uh, we had our staff party uh, last night. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, if you haven't seen the video of Andrew West, or not Andrew West, Andrew Spada dancing on the stage in an outfit, get on our Instagram. You'll thank me later. Who's seen that already? Who's seen that? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, he won the event, which I already knew he won the event because he's like the good looking mu musician. And all the staff kids were the judges. So I never had a chance. But I did a handstand walk across this thing, and I came in last place. So I'm just saying, that is what it is. But all that to say, uh, we played fishbowl. Anybody ever played fishbowl before? Um, if you haven't, super fun. And it was Christmas-themed or uh, Two Rivers-themed. So one of the two rivers phrases was put that in your theological pipe and smoke it, right? You've heard that before. Another one was river rats, which is what we call all the staff kids. Uh, and then one was context is king. Uh, and I think the acting out on that was like, they just did like mic drop. And it was like, context is king, mic drop. Anyway, I'm just up here having some fun with you guys right now. You're giving me good energy. You're giving me good energy. Thank you, Kenny. I see you on the front row of that balcony, sir. Um, in a serious way, like, if, if something that you have picked up on in this series as a Bible student, as a reader, as a disciple, that when we read Scripture, that you are reminded that context is king and Scripture interprets Scripture, as your pastor, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that we're learning those really important interpretive ways of engaging Scripture. Um, I want to start... Uh, by just reminding you uh, as we land kind of this letter of just some things that we've been saying throughout the series, but these are some big points we made about the letter starting back in January. Now, this is from a commentator, uh, and we've, I've pulled this into a few messages throughout the course of the series, uh, what characterizes the pastoral letters. And when I say the pastoral letters, what that means is First and Second Timothy and Titus. Those are pastoral letters from uh, Paul, the apostle, to Timothy and to Titus. And so when we say the pastoral letters, it's those three letters. Um, 
that we have in mind, but what characterizes the pastoral letters most is not doctrine, it's not what we believe, it's not theology, uh, but it's doctrine blended with our lives, blended with holy living, the intersection of our faith and our lives. What does it mean for us to receive the message of God, the truth of God, be transformed by it, and have it change who we are, not only changing our identity, but the way we live our lives. And so as we've been looking at all the instructions in 1 Timothy, it's, there's a lot of instruction, right, in 1 Timothy. Um, right believing about God leads to right living. Um, secondly, we said we see a repeated insistence from Paul on ethical and moral integrity. And thirdly, our theology and our integrity matter. Um, it matters, And Paul's really clear about that uh, in the letter. Here's the working outline that we have been using throughout the series. And as you look at that, and this we've just been adding uh, to this throughout the series. Like when you look at that and you just read it, like what is the word in the outline that I put together that repeats over and over again? What's the one word you see more than any other word? Instruction. It's instruction, and we have seen lots and lots of instruction throughout the series. Lots of exhortation from Paul to Timothy. Uh, lots of language related to a training uh, from the fourth chapter, like physical training is of some value for our lives, but training in godliness, becoming like Jesus on purpose, has value for both this life and the life to come, training in godliness. Um, When we started the letter, there was a word in verse three, chapter one, verse three, and Paul uses the word urge. And he writes to Timothy, pastoring a church in Ephesus. He was facing opposition both outside the church and issues within the church. And we don't know for sure uh, what was happening in Timothy's life, but I'm certain that it was hard. Uh, Church planting, pastoring, it's hard work. It's challenging. Uh, And maybe there was something in Timothy. Maybe he was homesick or he wanted to go back with Paul on his mission. But Paul had sent Timothy there in Ephesus. He was on his own. And so maybe there was something going that we don't know. But the, the language to Paul is, I'm urging you to stay there. Stay in Ephesus. And then the next phrase is so that you may command certain men to stop teaching lies, urging, commanding. It's serious language because the matter, the matter was serious. We've seen that throughout the letter. There's um, emphasis, re-emphasis on phrases. Uh, we saw in 1 Timothy 1.18, by following, again, word instruction, you may, and here's the famous kind of phrase from 1 Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He said that in chapter one, verse 18. He re-emphasizes it in our passage today, verse 12 of chapter six. So that's emphasized. In 1 Timothy 19, he encourages, exhorts Timothy, hold on to the faith. And as you are fighting the good fight, as you are in this reality, it is hard work, it is a battle. Um, As you are fighting the good fight, hold on to the faith and a good conscience. Moral integrity matters. There it is in verse 19. And then again in chapter six in our passage today, take hold uh, of the eternal life to which you were called. Um, It's almost the same language. Uh, 
isn't it? Chapter one, chapter six. Why does Paul do this? Why do, why do leaders do this? Uh, emphasize, emphasize. We re-emphasize what we want people to be grounded in, to understand, to grow in. Uh, I, I coach basketball at Rocky Mountain High School. And uh, every day when we start practice, we start with what's called fundamental shooting, and then we go right into defensive principles every single day. Why do we do that? Because we want to emphasize and re-emphasize things that we really want to connect for the young men that play in our program. Um, as, a, as someone who's been mentored and discipled um, in my life, uh, three significant mentors in my life, which is interesting, all their names start with J. It's Jeff, John, Jeff, Jason. It's just kind of funny. We had some fun with that in the first service. You guys aren't laughing about that, but that's okay. It's okay. Um, so it was Jeff, Jeff, and John. They were, they were my three mentors. And then, you know, of course, my name is Jason. Anyway, uh, this is something that Jeff taught me about teaching, speaking, uh, leading. And the phrase is simply this, tell them a hundred times in a hundred different ways. You have to emphasize and then re-emphasize and re-emphasize and re-emphasize. That's what we see Paul doing here with Timothy. He's re-emphasizing you're in a fight. It's a good fight. It's a worthy fight, but it is a fight. It is a battle. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard. And while you're doing this, while you're leading, pastoring, leading, teaching in the way of Jesus, hold on to your faith in any and every circumstance that you face. Don't let go of what has taken hold of you. So with that said, let's look at uh, these verses in uh, 1 Timothy 6. Um, One of the things, let me just tell you what we're going to glean from these first verses. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16, and then uh, we'll read the end of the chapter at the end of our time together this morning. But as Paul finishes up the letter, he's going to do what really effective mentors do with younger men that they're discipling and caring for. He's going to blow wind and encouragement in his sails because he recognizes that it is a fight and he needs encouragement from his mentor. And so we're going to see this and he's going to speak uh, identity over Timothy. He's going to remind him who he is in Christ. He's going he's to call out his character in the middle of the fight and the journey leading and pastoring, and then he's going to speak courage over Timothy. Over Timothy, Those are the three things that we'll see. So let's read this together, uh, verses 11 to 16, and the first thing that he'll call out, as we'll see, is his identity. Man, this thing is, okay, there we go. But you, why does he say, but you? He's juxtaposing everything that he had just said, what we talked about last week in verses three to 10, which speaks about um, even the last verse. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, you, Timothy, you have been set apart. And then he calls him by his identity. But you, he doesn't say Timothy. He doesn't call him by his name. He calls him by his identity. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from the things that he's just mentioned, verses 3 to 10, and pursue, chase after, seek after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold 
of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 13, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. First thing he does, he calls out Timothy's identity. Uh, Because of Jesus, uh, you are a man of God. You have a new identity. You are empowered. You are believed in. Uh, You are up to the task. You you got this. I know it's a fight. You You gotta stay in it and you gotta keep taking hold of that which is taking hold of you, but you have what it takes, Timothy. I believe in you. You are a man of God. I don't know if you have ever had someone uh, do something like this for you. When you are faced with a significant challenge, um, maybe a road ahead, um, there's something that required great courage or great confidence uh, in you to do this thing. And frankly, perhaps if you're like me, you were waffling a little bit in your own confidence, in your own gifting, even in your own calling. Uh, And you had someone like Jeff or Jeff or John, my mentors, who spoke words like this over you. I will tell you from my testimony and my journey of being on the receiving end of this, when that happens, when someone believes in me, even more than I believe in myself. You know know what I mean when I say that? Like, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And someone that I greatly respect, someone that... Uh, I uh, love to follow. I respect who they are as men, as, as, as teachers, as husbands, as fathers. As When they believe, I mean, it just empowers me to keep going and not to quit. Uh, I can't imagine what Timothy was feeling here, but I, I, I just believe and trust that as he's receiving this and uh, Paul's calling out his identity and his character and his courage, uh, it meant the world to him. And he says, because you are a man of God, flee, flee from the lives of the world and pursue godliness. It's this vivid picture that Paul gives Timothy, I think, of a person literally like free from it, flee, run away from it, uh, escaping bondage and running after the freedom that we have in Christ. Again, flee from all this. What was mentioned in chapter six, verses three, things like pride, uh, quarreling, envy, strife, the love of money, just to name a few, like you're a man of God. These things we have been rescued from, flee from those things. And then he says, pursue godliness. What does that look like? And he gives him the picture for that. So he calls out his identity, flee from these things. That's not part of your identity and who you are in Christ. And then he begins to call out Timothy's character. And he says, pursue righteousness. 
because you have been made right with the living God by the way of Jesus and his blood and his resurrection. Uh, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. That is true. That's the identity. And because you have been made righteous, because you have right standing with God, pursue righteousness. Like Lion King, be who you are. God has given you this new identity. Walk in the way of righteousness. Pursue it, moral integrity, our theology and our Integrity matter. You've heard me say this uh, before. Uh, if you've been around to us for any amount of time, grace, the way of grace, it's opposed to earning, uh, but it is not opposed to training and to effort and to pursuing righteousness in our lives. Run after the freedom that we have in Christ, righteousness. Pursue godliness. Uh, the word godliness Uh, In our passage today, same word in chapter four, where Paul tells Timothy to train in godliness. Same Greek word for godliness used in chapter six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith and love. This is also a reemphasis from chapter one. Chapter one, verse four, Paul tells Timothy this, God's work which is by faith. God's work is by faith. And then the very next verse five in chapter one says, the goal of this command is love. So God's work is faith and the command is love, faith and love right there together. As you do a journey through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, through the pastorals, they're frequently linked in Paul, like linking faith and love. If we're going to say we have faith in God, There ought to be a lot of evidence of the way we love, amen? Faith and love, pursue, run after. It's freedom in Christ. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love. And then he uses these two words together, which I find interesting. Pursue endurance with gentleness. It's an interesting combination. Like, I wonder what Paul is thinking here. What, when he says to Timothy, you must, Endure with gentleness. What is he assuming? Well, he's re-emphasized in chapter one and chapter six, like fight the good fight. Hold on. Like it's gonna be hard. You're going to have to endure, Timothy. Endure with gentleness. Life is hard. Uh, People, people are hard. Ministry is hard. Endure. When I first moved to Fort Collins, 2011, I left my mentors, Jeff, Jeff, and John, back in Tennessee. And we didn't know anybody here. And I just, I always pursue an older person in my life. Uh, I always want to um, give down to younger men, and I always want to learn and glean from older men. And I didn't know anyone here. We didn't have any relationships with anyone here. And so I just looked on different churches and seeing what churches was here, and um, there was a church in town, and uh, this church was also a church plant, and they moved from another state. And they had been here, I don't know, 
five, six, seven, eight years. I don't remember. Uh, and I was like, I want to hang out with that, with that pastor. I, wanna, I need to learn what it's like to plant a church in Fort Collins and get there because they did that. His name is Randy Craning. If you know who Randy Craning is, he pastors Clearwater Church on Drake and LeMay. And uh, I pursued a relationship with him. And he received my pursuit, and we spent time together monthly those first few years of ministry here. And this is one of the very first things he told me about church planting, the way we were planting here in Fort Collins. And he said, a church planting is hard work. Prepare for rejection. And I was like, eh. And then he said, you must be able to endure. He was calling me. He was calling out in me what Timothy is receiving from Paul, this endure. Life is hard. People are hard. Ministry is hard. It's worth it. But you're going to have to fight the good fight. You're going to have to take hold and keep holding on to your faith in the midst of it. And what Timothy was doing was receiving from Paul, I was receiving from Randy. He was calling me to courage. He was calling me to courage. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. Um, life is hard. People are hard. Ministry is hard. And that's why he calls out Timothy's courage. Uh, fleeing from all this and running after the freedom of godliness takes courage. Um, and it's interesting, as we read through this, there is three ways specifically. He doesn't just tell Timothy, hey, hey, I'm calling out your courage. Yes, I am calling out your courage, but I'm gonna give you three specific ways when you are struggling, when you need a specific um, anchor for courage. I'm gonna give you three real, real ways for you to do that. And that's what we see in the text, and I wanna point this out for you. So when he calls out his courage, here's the ways, and I love this, and I think this is so relevant for us today, whether you're on the receiving end of being discipled or mentored, or you are, uh, if you are the mentor, if you are the discipler, I think this is really relevant for our lives and walking in the way of Jesus and the courage and the character and the identity that it requires for us today. And here's what we see Paul giving to Timothy. First and foremost, he tells him this, in verse 13, God gives life to everything. He gives life to everything. He gives you what you need, your circumstance, your marriage, the unknown reality of your future, where your kids are, what you're doing as a student, what you're struggling with. Like, like we need courage in life to walk in the way of Jesus and God gives you what you need, Timothy. God gives you everything you need to rivers. And then he says, Jesus' courage will show you the way of courage. So not only do I want you to understand and embrace in your identity as a son or daughter in, in the family of God, that God the Father is delighted, is delighted to give good gifts to his children. And he does, he gives life to everything. Also, Jesus is the example of courage. And what does he use? He uses the story of when Jesus was at his most urgent hour in the face of the Roman governor in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate. Right before he would go to be crucified, 
And he's calling out courage in Timothy. And he reminds Timothy of Pontius Pilate. And at his most urgent hour, Pontius Pilate looks at Jesus and says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, I am courage. Romans 1.16, Paul tells the church in Rome, his personal, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles, for the whole world. Jesus shows the way of courage. Follow him. Follow him. God gives you everything you need. Jesus' courage shows the way. And thirdly, don't ever, don't ever forget, Jesus is coming again. And he will make all things new. You can endure because of that truth. The first advent, the first coming of Jesus, we're celebrating it right now. The second advent of Jesus is the promise of God. New heaven, new earth, and God will make all things new. Never forget that, Timothy. All will be made well. I charge you with the, in the reality of the second coming of Jesus to keep this command with the letter in mind, all the instruction. I charge you because God gives you everything you need, because Jesus's courage empowers our courage, and because Jesus is coming again, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Second coming. When Paul begins to call things out in Timothy, we looked at three things. What was the first thing he called out? He called out his what? Identity. But you, O man of God. Like, don't forget that the identity got called out first before the character and the courage. It's so important that he calls out his identity and then he calls out his character and then he calls out his courage. And so when we look at these verses, I charge you to keep this command. Certainly, all the instruction that we've seen in the letter uh, is relevant. So certainly there is obedience in mind as we trust God and follow God, right? Right living leads to right Living, So certainly that is in mind, but uh, what I see in this verse and then what follows it is this. Paul is not centering Timothy in doing something, but being in Christ. And the reason why I say that is because, let me just ask you this question. How is anyone able in their own flesh, in their own doing, in their own way, how is anyone able to be before the living God, the holy, righteous presence of God. How is anyone able to stand before God without spot or blame of their own doing? They are not. We are not. The reality is this. God's grace gives us a new identity And the only way we stand before God without spot or blame is the covering of Jesus's blood. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
That truth, our new identity, empowers us, gives us position, not by our doing, but by the work of Jesus. Are, are y'all here with me right now? Preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. We, we are charged, church, to keep the command without spot or blame. How do we do that? I call in the name of Jesus, and by the blood of Jesus, I stand righteous with a new identity and walking in the way of character and courage. God's grace gives us a new identity, and then his grace empowers our lives forward in character and courage. And then at this point, right after this, Paul goes to, he just starts worshiping. I mean, he just, it's a doxology. Like, verses 15 and 16, and I'm going to read it again, and you'll see it. Like, I think Paul's, like, writing this letter, and he's, like, landing the plane of the letter, and he's, like, Call, he's like calling glory out of Timothy. And he talks about standing before the living God without spot or blame, which can only happen by the blood of Jesus. And he just starts worshiping. And it's a doxology. I, I don't know if um, you know what a doxology is. I grew up in a Methodist church, and we sang the doxology every Sunday. And a doxology is just simply, uh, it's just simply praise, an expression of praise to God. Uh, doxa means glory or splendor. And logos means word or speaking. And so a doxology is just worship. And that's what I see when Paul just, he gets caught up in the grace of God and the glory of God. And he just starts worshiping God. Listen to these verses again. The doxology of the letter. God, the blessed and only ruler, God is sovereign. The king of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, can see. To him be honor. I can just, to him, to him be honor and glory and might forever. I mean, just the doxology. Paul himself is just praising God and he's inviting Timothy and those who will read this letter into that with him. And then he closes the letter with, amen. Glory to God, amen. And all the people said, amen. But then, it go, but then you're like, well, wait a minute, Swain, it goes on. Um, some of you young people may not know this, but we used to like write letters to people. <laughs> like literally. Like I remember like going to like summer camp when I was like in high school and I'd meet this cute girl and then we would literally write letters back and forth to each other. Anybody, anybody else write letters? And when you get done with the letter, there's like sincerely or whatever, Jason, and then be like, oh. And the thing that you would write at the end of the letter is called a what? Postscript. P.S. Like if you didn't know what P.S. meant, there you go, postscript. And then if you had another thought, you might go P.S.S. And when I got a letter and there was a PS on it, I was paying attention. Were you paying attention? Yeah, you pay attention because it's like, oh, yeah. It's almost like Paul gets caught up in this, the glory of God. He starts worshiping Jesus, and he literally says, amen. And then he goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. Timmy, 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 hold on. I don't know if he called Timothy Timmy, but I think, I think maybe he did. Oh, 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 Timmy, 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 hold on, hold on. A few more quick things. I need to tell you, P.S., that's what I think 17 to 21 is. 
And so, oh yeah, there's more. I think, I think Timothy said, oh yeah, there's more, there's more, there's more. And then he's going to reemphasize some things uh, in the PS. Uh, and I think it really speaks for itself. And he just simply says this, command those who are rich in this, oh, this is verse 17. Oh, I don't want to go to that. I'm giving, you, I'm giving away my notes. It's too important at the end. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Be careful, remind the people, teach the people, remind the people who are rich in this world, they got a lot of material stuff, like remind them, teach them, like don't be arrogant in that, it's pretty uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's that word everything again. God gives us everything. Command them, like number one, command people not to be arrogant or to put their hope in material wealth, but encourage them to put their hope in God. And then he commands again, command them to do good. This is grace in action. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy Guard. There's that. Here's the re-emphasis again. Take hold. There's that phrase again. Guard. It's a fight the good fight. Guard. You're in a battle. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. End of the letter. If you're reading this, I think it's pretty, pretty simple to understand. Um, if you're rich in the world, don't be arrogant, but be generous. Don't be arrogant. Be generous. If you're rich in this world, don't put your hope in it. Put your hope in God. And if you're wondering if you are rich in this present world... I say this with all love and care. You are. We are. This is relevant for every single one of us in this room. But you're like, ah. You can find this on the internet. You can, but this, this is just some stats around wor- the world that we live in and wealth. If you made $1,500 in 2022, you are the top 20% in the world of wage earners. It's hard to, hard to swallow, isn't it? If you have food, clothing, housing, and reliable transportation, you are top 15%. If you made $25,000 in 2022, you are the top 10% 
of the world's earners. If $50,000 came into your bank account in 2022, you are the top 1% in the whole world. If you are rich in this present world, be generous and do good with it. God has blessed you to be a blessing. Amen? If you are rich in this present world, be careful. Be careful. Wealth is uncertain. Put your hope in God. Amen? I want to close the series by showing you something that um, I believe is really, really essential for us. Again, so much instruction, right? So much instruction in the letter. So many important things for us to hear, listen to, receive, be changed by, grow in change. But here's what I want you to see that maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. I want you to see how it all starts and I want you to see how the letter ends. So turn back in your Bible with me to the beginning of the letter. And he gives a salutation. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my son, in the faith. So if I wrote you a letter, if I wrote Jeff a letter, and I said, Jeff, comma, like the letter doesn't start with Jeff. I'm just saying, hey, Jeff, comma. The letter starts with the very next sentence. Would you agree? So we have the salutation, and I want you to tell me the first word of the letter that Paul writes to Timothy. He starts the word with what? It says, grace and mercy and peace. Instruction, 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 train, train. Like, be transformed, grow. Like, don't be arrogant with wealth, but be generous. Like, instruction, right? He starts with grace, and now turn over to the end, and he ends the letter with what phrase? Grace be with you. And some of you are like, there he goes again, grace on grace. And that's fine. I get it. I am a grace preacher. We celebrate and proclaim the grace and the freedom of Jesus in this house. And it's, it's so important. It's so important. Um, Paul starts the letter with grace and ends with grace. Guys, I'm not making this up. I'm not making it up. When your eyes get open to grace, you see it everywhere in the scripture. I'm a grace preacher because this is a letter about Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. This is a book about liberation. And from the fullness of Christ, John 1, 16, from the fullness of Christ, we have all received. We haven't earned it. We haven't done anything to get it. We have received grace upon grace. He starts the letter with grace. He ends the letter with grace. When we move the instructions of 1 Timothy Outside of Jesus' grace upon grace, we end up making Christianity about ourselves, which leads us in one of two ways. 
If we take the instruction, there's been a lot of instruction in 1 Timothy, and we remove it, it starts with grace, and it ends with grace, and we pull it out, we make it about ourselves, it leads to one of two ways. It leads to ego, or it leads to shame. It leads to pharisaical legalism, or it leads to constant self-abasement. And neither of those is the abundant life that Jesus came to offer you and died to give you. But when we keep the instructions centered in Jesus's grace upon grace, they always lead us home, home. Grace simply makes us so grateful and empowers us to give and serve and bless. Grace is on the front end of our Christian life and grace is on the back end of our Christian life, and grace is everywhere in between. It's all grace, church. Grace is the way. Grace empowers the training. It empowers the diligence. It empowers the guarding. It empowers the process. Grace is the way. Grace forgives the stumbling. Grace forgives the failure, and it empowers us to keep going with character and with courage because Jesus has given us a new identity. My, my primary passion, my primary passion as your pastor and the primary one that carries this sacred privilege and joy of opening these scriptures and teaching it to you is Hebrews 12, 5. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. That is the call of my life. It is my joy to invite you once again this morning to step under the lavishing of God's grace to you. It'll change everything. It changes everything in our lives. And so I say to you as we wrap this series together, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God. Grace be with all of you. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your peace. Thank you for the privilege and joy of aligning our hearts and minds that your instructions, your freedom instructions is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that we pursue righteousness and godliness and love and faith and endurance and gentleness for freedom Christ has set us free. And so, Lord, do this work anew in us. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to worship and to fellowship and to be in your word. Lord, change us by the spirit of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.